this is our very last Missio Voice of the year. So this is the last regular service, as Max said. And we wanted to do something a little bit different with this, like, final Missio Voice. Normally what we use Missio Voice for is, like, highlighting some stories, telling stories that what's happening in the community, or maybe, like, naming something that's new, like a partnership or an event that's up and coming. And we wanted to take this Missio Voice to do, like, a little bit of a 2023 wrapped. You all got your Spotify wrapped. This is the Missio wrapped. It's way less sophisticated. It's just me with a PowerPoint presentation. Pretty cool. Uh, no, we wanted to just take a few moments to tell a little bit of some story about 2023, maybe talk a little bit about 2024, and then as a part of that, do our final year uh, and financial update. So a couple of things that we want to do, and just start out saying thank you and celebrating 2023. Yeah, I love it. Thank you, Jordan. There are so many things for us to be thankful for this year. I was thinking just like I had when I was like prepping for this moment, I had a list that was like two pages long. And I was like, oh, that's just a sermon. Like that's a, that would be a whole sermon for us to go through. But there's so many things to celebrate from our Advent offering. Where we were able to provide a full Christmas to four different families in our community led by Nikki, who's on our staff, here to our Easter service, which was the largest, most celebratory Easter service we've had since the pandemic. It just felt like such a joy to, be able to like celebrate together. Our newest partnership with the in-between, our home church groups, are so just so many things to celebrate, and way more than I have time for. So instead of me naming all the things that are worth celebrating, we compiled a couple of videos from people in the community that are, and people who are our partners, just kind of naming some things that they're thankful for this year. So I'm going to hand it over to the video and let them tell you what they're thankful for this year. Hi, Missio. This is Alyssa with Rise Up School of Dance. We're celebrating that a year ago we got to move from the commercial garage units across the parking lot into the Missio building to hold our dance classes. This has been an amazing blessing, not just because we now have really beautiful studios and a place to hold our dance classes, but we have a lobby. And that's allowed us to have spaces of hospitality, not just for our students, but for their families. And one out of every two kids at our program is coming from an underserved family. And so being able to not just extend the opportunity for dance classes and relationship for the kids, but also for their families has been amazing. Missio Day is so infused with Jesus's love that they, for two years now, or almost two years, have sought out to be a sensory inclusive church um, for folks that have sensory processing challenges um, with Culture City. And that's huge because that's like putting to practice what we read about, about who is Jesus, how does Jesus live, and what has he called us to do, and out of a response to that radical love, uh, Missio has jumped on board and has seen the one in four with a sensory processing challenge, and I love Missio so, so, so darn much. One of the things I've been grateful for for Missio in 2023 has just been the opportunity to serve with the guiding team. That's been such an incredible opportunity to learn from incredible leaders who've been in this community, who understand ways in which they wanna kind of move it towards a 
wholeness and healing, um, but also ways in which um, they just feel passionate and called to, to serve Missio. And so just being welcomed into that team and being able to serve alongside them has been such an incredible honor. Um, and I've just felt so welcomed um, and empowered really to, to, to speak into um, that space and um, you know help the, the, the kingdom more be revealed um, in Missio and in our city. So it's been an incredible honor. So is probably the newest person here, uh, and I also add oldest. Uh, I uh, have been here uh, for a couple of months, and I feel like I can read for the first time at church in a long time. And a friend just recently said, if you can breathe, that means you were probably choking. And I didn't even know it. And so when I first came to Missio, the very first things were how stripped down everything was and how all of the focus was on Jesus worshiping him. And that's why I believe that Missio has been such a blessing to me this year. So fun to hear from members of the community or partners like Alyssa with Rise Up. We've been partnering with them for many years. And then at the beginning of this year, they moved into our building to provide more space for dancing. So fun to hear those stories. And they're just a little bit of all the things that are happening in our community that we don't have time to narrate or to say. And so I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Like there's so many things to celebrate and just want to say thank you to you who come here and who make Missio your home. A few things like very specifically that I want to shout out. I want to thank our staff, our Missio staff here. They're just amazing. Yeah, they, they do such amazing work leading the different parts of this ministry, leading the different parts of the community. So many things you get to see and so many things you don't get to see are led by the staff. I want to thank our guiding team. The Missio guiding team is like our board. You heard Jordan talk about serving on it. They help provide accountability, financial oversight, and more than anything else, they just lead in the community like Jesus. That's their highest priority. So I want to thank our guiding team for providing wisdom. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Worth clapping for them. I want to thank, there's some other teams here that you may not get to see or hear about. We have a financial stewardship team that provides wisdom on finances. We meet once a quarter about, and they analyze the budget, talk about financial decisions, provide wise stewardship. It's the most boring job, but maybe one of the most important ones that is happening in this community, because as you know, I can't count past 10. So we want to thank the financial stewardship team for the amazing work that they do here. Yes, love it. Look at this. We also have a, a benevolence team, which is made up of like some members of the board, and then some members of the community who help us think wisely about how we give money away. Uh, all the money that comes in from like our coffee sales or mugs or stickers, and then any revenue that we generate um, above like getting us into the black, 10% of that goes directly into the benevolence fund and then is just given away to needs in the community. So sometimes that money is used for paying people's rent, sometimes it's used for paying medical expenses, sometimes it's used for paying legal fees, it's been used for a lot of diverse Things. We have a team of people here who spend a lot of time thinking wisely about how do we do that, how do we resource people, how do we support people, and also how do we do it in a way that's legal. You, there's some loopholes and things you have to pay attention to in the law in terms of you giving money away. So I want to thank our uh, benevolence team that you don't get to hear about very often, but are such an amazing group of people. Look at that. 
few others that I want to shout out. We'll hit it quickly. I'm taking too long already. We've got our worship team behind us and many members in the community. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. You have our kids team who are, you don't get to see because they're serving with kids. You got our youth team, which is like a first thing we can say this year. It's always been staff-led. This year we have staff and volunteers in the community that are leading. And we got home church and home church leaders who serve during the week, doing just amazing work, providing such amazing care. So shout out to our home church leaders, our partnership group leaders. So many things to celebrate our volunteers and our community members. Thank you so much for making 2023 what it was, for making Missio what it is. The reason we exist is because of the work and effort of our generous community and the energy that you put in. There was a Pew study that came out at the beginning of this year, and it basically said uh, churches in America are on the decline. Young people don't go to church, and churches are struggling overall. And the only reason I name this is because Missio is defying basically every statistic about churches in the United States. And I just want to say thank you for that. Like, it's kind of a beautiful thing to be a part of a community that is witnessing to a different story about what is possible, what God can do in the lives of people who uh, show up and want to follow Jesus together. And maybe the thing I want to say thank you for um, maybe the most is just for myself. This has been one of my, this is maybe a weird thing to say, but it's been one of my own favorite years of ministry uh, over the last many, 23, 23. Maybe it's just because 2023 felt kind of normal after so many years of tumult and chaos, but it has been a very life-giving year to be a pastor here and to be a leader here and to serve alongside of you. So I want to thank you for how much life I feel like I have received this year. Something about doing church with you and being a part of this community with you feels very special. That's like hard to name and hard to quantify and hard to say why. Like, what is it that feels special about that? That's maybe the most important thing that we could name, but it's also the hardest to measure. Like, what is it that is the special sauce of the Missio community that feels so wonderful to be a part of? And so this week, I just started asking people what they felt like was unique or special about this community. What is the story that we want to tell most about ourselves? What comes up? And as I asked people, what I was surprised by and really delighted by is that it was basically the same story over and over and over again, that everybody I asked had basically the same kinds of answers. And there was three categories, and I just wanted to share them with you because I think this is worth telling, and this is maybe worth celebrating more than anything else about us. This is I asked people what made Missio special. The very first thing that came up, and people said this in different ways, using different language, but it was basically that we're a community trying to follow Jesus together. And that shouldn't be novel. It's not like a, a thing that makes us unique, but it is wonderful that it is a thing that defines us. And it is like Shannon said in her video, or as people said in the community, that the thing that feels true of us is that we want to follow Jesus, that we take him very seriously and take ourselves very not seriously. And that that's been a, a healing thing for some. It's been a challenging thing for others in healthy ways. It's created spaces of wholeness where we can breathe, we can move together, and we can grow together. So we're a community that seems like we're trying to follow Jesus. The other thing that came up a lot that I thought was really beautiful is that we believe Jesus is big enough for all of us. If you ask people in this community where they come from or what their theological orientation are, it's very different. We're a community of diversity. And that is so beautiful. 
And we believe that Jesus is big enough to hold that diversity of convictions and ideas together, that the the love of God is big enough to tell a story that somehow we belong together despite all the things that are divergent and different about us. And so that is a beautiful thing to highlight and to name. It was so encouraging to hear. And then the final thing that I just loved that many people said is we're a community that's trying to follow Jesus in our everyday lives. We don't believe church ends on a Sunday. Sundays are just the starting point of our following Jesus. And we believe that Jesus is leading us into our real lives, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods to really be the church everywhere else. And this was continually reflected. And I think these stories, the reason I tell you is I just think that's actually the stuff that matters about who Missio is more than any other story I could tell you. It's the story that you are telling about us are these things. So, Monsieur, thank you for making this place so special. Thank you for following Jesus together and making this community a community that really believes Jesus is big enough for all of us, because he is. So, things to celebrate, things to say thank you for. Now, last thing, we're going to do a little bit of a financial update. This will be the last financial update of the year as we kind of move into the end of the season. And there's two big wins that I want to name about our finances right now. The first one is, we've talked about this a few times, at the very beginning of the year, we received a credit from the government. It was kind of like part of the COVID funding that was put aside during the pandemic for churches, nonprofits, and businesses. So we received a pretty decent chunk of money at the beginning of the year, right around $44,000. Huge win. Huge gift from God that provided for us and allowed us to stay stable throughout the year. The second big win that I want to name is when Heather and I were like setting out the year and kind of planning and praying over what would happen during this year, we, we set a small goal. I don't know how you measure this, but we set a goal of five new reoccurring givers for the year. That may not seem like a lot, but our kids' budget at Missio, for example, is $3,000 for the whole year. So one giver can pay for the whole kids' budget for the year. We run a really tight budget. We want to be good stewards of that budget, but we're also a community of mostly young people, and so we have to run a tight budget. So we set a goal for five givers. As of this month, we hit 14 new reoccurring givers, which just feels like a huge answer to prayer. Yeah, more than we could have asked for. More than we could have asked for, yeah. And again, small contributions, small reoccurring givers have a huge impact on the overall finances of Missio. Most of our staff is part-time, so small gifts can pay for the whole like part-time salary of a staff member. It can pay for a whole kid's budget. It can pay for what we do for kids during Easter or how we partner with Rise Up. Small gifts go a long way. Now, with that said, we're still looking at some challenges. We're going to end the year, or what I should say is this. As of the end of November, we are in the red or in the negative as a community right about $18,000. Now, that's a big number. It's not a number that scares me. We've had that kind of deficit before, have overcome that deficit. But I also want to be clear-eyed about the state of our financial situation as a community, that we're in the red, right about $18,000. And as we look at the new year, we are looking at a monthly deficit of about $3,000 for 2024, that it will be short every single month around $3,000. So here's what we are praying for in light of that. Some goals, some hopes that we have for us as a community. We're praying that we can close out the year in the black or in the positive. December is always our strongest year, the strongest month of the year. Every single year that's been true, 
most of the time that can kind of push us into the black. So we're praying that December can push us into the positive. And then we're praying that as we enter into 2024, we can increase giving by about $3,000 a month. Those are big challenges. They're big goals. But I feel very confident that we can do it. I feel very confident that we can do it. We've grown 20% year over year uh, in terms of attendance, which defies statistics. And the only reason I tell you that is because I feel really hopeful about 2024, what's happening in this community, and what God is doing in this community. And so it leads to some asks from me. Here's what we're asking. If you consider Missio your home, or you believe in what we're doing, would you consider a one-time year-end gift to the community? Just a one-time year-end gift to help us move into the positive for the year. And if you call Missio home, if you believe in what we're doing, if this is a place that you say yes to, would you consider partnering with us by becoming a reoccurring giver? Instead of having a monthly reoccurring donation. Small amounts have huge impact in the life of a community like Missio. Now, if you're in a position financially where you can't, I also want you to know you belong here. This is your home. You are welcome here. We don't want to talk about money ever out of a position of guilt. We always want to talk about it out of a position of generosity and vision, never holiness or morality. You belong here. There's lots of ways to serve and to contribute. But if you are in a position where you can give, would you consider a one-time year-end gift or becoming a reoccurring giver? Help us enter into 2024 well. I'm so excited about 2024, Missio. We have some really amazing things kind of like brewing and percolating in the life of the community. I've created a little bit of a list, just a sneak peek of 2024. Just a few things that I'm excited about. We have new partnership groups that are brewing in the midst of us, which are our ministries, like the groups that are working and doing outreach in the city. We're working on some new ways to use our facility for the community. It's always been a part of our vision, is that our building would be an asset to the community. And so we've been planning and talking and networking with how to use all of our green space in a way that is environmentally conscious and a gift to the community around us. We have some new classes that are being planned. Zach and his youth volunteers are working on some more Missio youth stuff. And something I'm very excited about, which we're going to talk about more in the new year, is that we are launching our pastoral fellowship program, which will be a leadership development program inside of Missio to train up and develop the next group of leaders who will lead this community. There's so many amazing leaders in this community who have giftings, both within the church and outside the church, And our fellowship program is all about partnering with them to lead and to equip them for leading in this space. So lots of really cool things that are coming in 2024. Very excited about it. So would you consider partnering with us for 2024 and beyond? All right. Taking enough of your time. I've been up here for way longer than I wanted to be. Let me pray for you, and then uh, you can listen to somebody else talk. Jesus, thank you so much for Missio. It's such a gift to call this community home. Such a gift to serve and lead alongside of these people. I'm just so thankful for what you've done here, what you've accomplished here. And I have a deep confidence that you are at work in us and at work in 2024 already before we get there. So God, would you help us respond to the goodness of you? To carry your goodness with us everywhere we go. Here, yes, but way more on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, throughout the rest of our week. 
So God, thank you that you're with us and help us journey with you the rest of the season. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Mary from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to, King Her to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thanks, Rebecca. Just echo what Johnny said, such gratitude for this community and for all of you, and um, anticipate, have good anticipation feels, if that's even a sentence, <laughs> about um, what's ahead in 2024. We are in the third Sunday of Advent. Um, and as Johnny has been chatting with us about or preaching the last couple of weeks, Advent just literally means arrival. Um, it's what the word stands for. And it is the time in the church calendar which counts down the days until Christmas. So I don't know if you have your little chocolate advent calendar. Anyone? Anyone? Or some of you might have little lights that you light, little candles. Um, and are these little windows with hidden chocolates or lit candles that for the church is counting down and the days until we celebrate the birth of Jesus or arrival and I just think about Rihanna and the birth of her little nugget over there that's come. And there's an anticipation that comes with the birth and for us, the celebration of Jesus, his arrival. And that's the story that's told to us in the Gospels. And the story is a story about God's nearness. Um, that's the story of Advent, the story of God's nearness. And as a community, um, we've been looking at the Psalms. The Psalms are the prayer book of the Old Testament. Um, and the reason that we've been looking at the Psalms, or a Psalm in particular, is because hope and anticipation and longing run through the Psalms as the themes of the Psalms. And they're also the major themes of Advent, or this season of Christmas, and the stories in the Gospel that communicate about Jesus' arrival. 
hope and longing and anticipation. And sometimes the nativity story of Christmas can feel dislocated from everyday life. And last week, Johnny talked about how it like, can feel like a little cute story. Um, but it feels a little far off, you know, hay <laughs> or wildlife. It's not our everyday experience. Um, but Mary and Joseph and Herod and Anna and Simeon and the shepherds, they were all humans grappling with real life with real-life experiences. Um, and their prayers in the text reflect that. It's reflective of their real lives. And that's the beauty of the Psalms, is that they are written in the middle of real life. Real prayers recorded from real experiences with humans grappling with the circumstances of their life. Their real prayer for God to show up to bring comfort, to rescue, to reassure, or to be near. And the words of these prayers are messy. If you read the Psalms, they're honest, and they are full of paradox. A friend texted me this week, (laughs) and I quote, she said, this is such a weary time of year. She says, there's so much frenetic and merry holiday schlock to wade through, for example, on the radio while I'm waiting for a doctor's appointment. And you're like, yeah, like have a holly jolly Christmas while you're sitting waiting for the doctor. It's just like, uh, wait, what? It can be jarring. And so this Advent season, Christmas arrives into our lives too. Complicated, maybe joyful, maybe a little weary. And so we decided to look at Psalm 23 to give us kind of prayer language or a prayer practice as we live in our very real lived lives with real experiences so that it might bring the story near to us as we kind of make our merry way or not so merry way to our Christmas celebrations. Next week, yo? <laughs> what? just a week away. And we started um, the first week by naming that this prayerful psalm begins with an image. The who of the prayer. The who the prayer addresses. The Lord, it says in Psalm 23, Yahweh is my shepherd. David calls God shepherd. And it is a relationship that's painted for us through a metaphor which can be helpful. And for the people hearing or saying this prayer, it's a language that would have been very broadly understood because they lived lives in a landscape with the sights and sounds of sheep and herders. They were very familiar with their animals. I think it'd be a bit like us saying, the Lord is my bus driver. Right? We all have a clear picture of Like, the Lord is my bus driver. You know, you probably see a bus like four or five times a day. Because it's part of our world. Being a shepherd is part of their world. The metaphor was very visceral for them. And David was himself a shepherd. First Samuel, you can read all about his antics as a shepherd. 
So as well as like a practical clarity where this is just what people see on a day-to-day basis, the psalm is tied to a very personal experience, the work of a shepherd. It's tied to a reality and it was who he was. It was the name that he wore, shepherd. It's like, that's me, yo. It was deeply personal. And so the images of a shepherd evoke trust for David, a nearness, and in the company of a shepherd, what comes up for him is care and comfort. That's the who of the prayer. God as shepherd, bus driver, familiar and close. And it's helpful to have those kinds of images when we um, enter into a prayerful practice because they help the shame or the self-doubt or the dislocation that we feel. Like having an image like that at least allows that stuff to quiet. Or an attempt at having that familiar image of God gives it the possibility of those other things like shame and doubt, too quiet. And so the prayer practice invites us to language that is deeply real and deeply personal and deeply connected. So that's how it starts. And then it shifts from the who to what God is doing. I lack nothing. He lets me rest in grassy meadows. He leads me to restful waters. He keeps me alive. He guides me in proper paths for the sake of his good name. David knows from firsthand experience that livestock depend on the care and attentiveness and skill of the shepherd. So he's leading and tending and feeding. But And I love this about this psalm or this prayer. It moves through these kind of moments. And after he says all of this about goodness, he then acknowledges that it's not always lushy green meadows or restful spaces. That's not all that life is made up of. Sometimes there are the shadows. Life experiences not yet resolved. Paths that are unclear or harrowing. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The dark valley, as Johnny said last week, the shadows, they're a part of life. And as we read this, there's a shift of landscape. And with the shift of landscape, there is also a shift in the pronouns. From he lets and he leads and he keeps and he guides to now you. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It gets more personal. There's a deeper intimacy. And there is an acknowledgement that while we might imagine ourselves alone when life feels dark and uncertain, it is not a place that we are deserted. 
the staff, you know, the long, you know, it's all in the nativity scenes, the long pole with a little crook on the end. Like it's used to, for lifting up struggling lambs. And I grew up in like rural England, and so like I see these struggling lambs. Yeah, the, one time I pulled one out of a cattle grid, it fell down in the cattle grid, and I'm like, you know, you grab their little shoulders and you pull it out. Like that's the, the, the little hooky thing. Like that's what you use the, you're like helping these little struggling buddies. Or the staff was used for drawing the larger, timid sheep. You can tell, like, sheep are real skittish, yo. I don't know why I keep using the word yo. Am I, like, 90s? It's like I went somewhere the other day and everyone was dressed as 90s, and all of a sudden I've gone back and I'm using the vernacular of the 90s. So the, the, the thing also used for the big sheep when they get timid, because they are very skittish animals. And also, it would be used just for resting, on the hindness, the bum of a sheep if it's frightened. Like it's this physical, tangible, I'm here. Thud. Soft thud. It's comforting. And that is a universal human need. In dark places, what we need is presence. And that's what Johnny talked about last week that last week, in the shadows, there is presence. And so David talks about the good times, when life is full and we're satisfied and we're at rest. But David also presupposes dark times. And then, in this last little section, he also talks about enemies. So he not only presupposes dark times, he presupposes enemies. That we will have hostile encounters. And David is familiar with enemies. If you just read 1 Samuel and the beginning of 2 Samuel, you can read about his life. And the story is highlighted. It's highlighted with his familiarity with hostility. Dude is familiar with quite a bit of hostility. Saul, who is basically his employer, is powerful and also threatened by him and wants to take him out. And so much of the beginnings of his life are him running around, trying to dodge this hostile enemy. And then as a king, he assumes a position of power and there are many hostile um, exchanges that he has, and some of them originate and flow from him to others. Sometimes he is his own enemy, or he is the enemy of others. And then maybe one of like the deepest or hardest moments in the text to swallow is the very end of his life, his own son turns against him. I was um, thinking about that this week and thought of the word frenemy. <laughs> right? The frenemy is the word that we use when someone who is close to us turns against us. <sighs> or maybe they turn away from us. 
Or it's the other thing is like when our back is turned, like a frenemy, they'll turn against us with some criticism or jokes that make us small. Or they just have tons of judgment and shade. So when they're facing us, they're all smiles. But when our back is turned, it is a whole different story. It's a frenemy. And I want you to think with me for a second. I'm going to ask you for a little bit of interaction because let's do this together. What word comes to mind when you think of an enemy? Or what word comes to mind when you think of a hostile environment? Or a frenemy? Is it worry or fear, nausea, sadness, anger? Anyone want to call out a word that comes to mind? Threat. Threat. It's a great word. Unrest. Unrest. That's right. Frustration. Frustration. So true. Sadness, yeah. Any others? These are the kinds of words that describe the pit in your stomach. where you know someone holds against you something in a real way. Hostility is wounding. We are wounded by hostility. Or we expect to be wounded. Or we wound. And it leaves us empty and kind of like, we'll look over the shoulder shoulder. Because, like, you know, what's behind? And here, David paints a picture where the shepherd turns a place of hostility into a place of hospitality. The shepherd turns a place of hostility into a place of hospitality. You set a table for me right in front of my enemies. You bathe my head in oil. My cup is so full it spills over. Yes, goodness and faithful love will follow me all the days of my life. The table is set, oil is given, there's a cup flowing over, it's not emptiness. And as you look over your shoulder, you see some good things behind your back. And a setting table in the presence of enemies literally could be like a host that shows up, but it's also, they call the table like a skin, where you throw this skin out and then the grain would be put on the um, skin so that it would be like a table for herds to eat when there wasn't enough food. 
But either way, it's a picture of hospitality here. And the oil put on uh, the head of a sheep at the end of a day is usually mixed with sulfur. And it's this visual of the caring touch of the shepherd. Like the shepherd is looking for tears and infection and parasites on the head, which is often where those things would show up, on the livestock. So it's putting oil on the head and attending And there's nothing like the smile or touch of someone that you trust when they're in someone else who holds animosity or hostility or judgment or disdain or hatred. There's nothing like someone who's familiar to you, their touch or their smile. When that person is present, either physically or whether they're present in your head or in your heart or in your body. Because those are the places that we hold the hostility of others. Whether it's in a lived real time or whether it's from our histories or our past or something that just happened. And so the tenderness of someone who is close to us is so healing. And the shepherd offers that tenderness, the warmth. Offers healing rather than wounding nearness in the place of hostility and in the place of hostility like rather than looking over your shoulder and like like looking for the whispers or the laughter the mockery or the accusation or like the uncertainty of harm following you there's a picture here of goodness and love that have your back those are some good things to have your back right Goodness and faithful love have your back, yo. Yo for emphasis. Eugene Peterson translate this, translates this like, these, are, these two things are chasing after you because it's active. The language here um, in the Hebrew is it's active. So these are two things that are literally legging it after you. Goodness and faithful love. There's another author that talk about it being like two sheepdogs. What a beautiful image. These two dogs just like, we got you. Faithful love, mercy and goodness just like running after you. A beautiful imagery, right? Because it is easy in spaces of hostility to worry about what is chasing after you. And usually hostility begets hostility. Things can escalate with self-protection or reaction or defensiveness or sometimes it's just straight aggression with aggression. Hostility begets hostility. But hospitality has the power to heal. And with goodness, this is what I love about this, like with goodness and faithful love at our back, It's like we have something. We are empowered to step out with security and wholeness because that's what has our back. And when we step out with security and wholeness because of those things having our back, it is both comforting, but it is also protective. 
but it might not be protective in the way that we think. Goodness and love are generative. With goodness and love absorbed in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, comes warmth. And so the capacity to be born in us a kind of space that can be held for the other. With wholeness and security, like there's an empowered, protective reality. And so then we step out and we can be challengers rather than perpetrators of harm. Because we have a sense of security. We can disrupt hostility out of that security. And then it becomes not only the things that track us, but the tracks that we leave. Goodness and faithful love. And again, instead of hostility, begetting hostility, maybe it's a, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that has the vocabulary of love. It is a challenge that has the vocabulary of goodness. It is a challenge that holds in its space because of hospitality held and chasing us. So goodness and love have the power to protect us from hostility. Good dogs chasing after. And then the final line I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Eugene Peterson says it this way, I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Often in places of hostility, we ask ourselves if we belong. And hospitality is about that feeling, that feeling of home. And here in the psalm, I think David wants us to know that that feeling or that belonging feeling is about permanence with God. We don't have to second guess our sense of belonging. And so the sense of the psalm is that God's nearness, it is God's nearness that reorders the situation. It doesn't mean that there are no enemies. But they are not powerful enough to take away the loyalty and solidarity of God. Which brings warmth, hospitality and belonging. Precisely in the moments when they are the things that are threatened. One of the things I love about Psalm 23 is that when you read it, the languages, the tenses are, on, are in the ongoing state in Hebrew. So they're actually in the imperfect tense. So it sounds like this. The Lord is shepherding me. I am not wanting anything. He is making me lie down in green pastures. He is leading me beside quiet waters. He is restoring my soul. 
He is guiding me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they are comforting me. We often live in the memories of the past, the regrets of the past, or the fears of the future. But where we actually live is here. This Christmas, 2023, with the trees and the songs on the radio in our doctor's office, with our many, many work parties, with our candlelit service next week, that's where we live, in Salt Lake City with all its smog. This is where we are. And you might be feeling well cared for this season, Christmas of 2023. You might be feeling well cared for. Rest in that. It's a gift. You might be experiencing the shadows or anticipating hostility around a family table next week. Or maybe you are not welcome at a family table because of hostility. You're not alone. David knew about that. The good times and the not so good. So did Mary. So did Joseph. So did Jesus. And the story teaches us about nearness that breaks in to all of it and provides hospitality. And we in this room, in this moment, have our own real longings. Things that we are waiting for, maybe even in the midst of hostility. And there are hostilities that are real around us, from wars across the globe to politics, so much, right? To our own dinner tables. And this prayer practice becomes the words that we use to call out for holy, hospitable presence to break in to our real lives and our real circumstances. And they can be words offered from skepticism and doubt and unbelief, which is where you might be this morning. And they can be words offered from that heart and that head and that body. Skepticism, doubt and unbelief. They can be words whispered from sadness, from betrayal, or from wound. And they can be words sung from the restful, satisfied place. And we're likely all of us in all of those places. And so as we finish up here, I'm going to read the last part of the psalm, 
how it sounds in the unfinished kind of language of the Hebrew. So I just ask you to close your eyes. This is what David's words say. You are preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint again and again and again and again my head with oil. And so I'm not empty. My cup is overflowing. Surely goodness and faithful love Mercy are following me all the days of my life. And I am dwelling, I belong, and will, will continue to dwell, will continue to belong in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, thank you for this um, story of Advent that... Um, it's a story of your nearness. And I thank you for David's prayer that invites us to a practice of invoking your nearness in our lives in this moment. And so I pray that wherever we are today, whether we live in that place of skepticism and uncertainty of doubt or doubt, whether we live in a place of deep sadness and sorrow because of the dark valleys or fear because of hostility, that you would um, today open us anew to a sense of what your hospitality might look like. And that not only would we receive that from you, but that we would plead for your kind of hospitality to show up in the very real hostile spaces that are in our world right now. And that we would be not so big or arrogant or proud to believe that your hospitality is not present or not able to be present in some of the most egregious areas. And so let our voice join David's and Mary and Joseph, and Simeon and Anna and Shepherds, in the prayerful practice of calling out for your holy and hospitable presence to be encountered this day. We pray. Amen.